Welcome to the Point Church Teaching Podcast. I'm Corey Ickes, one of the pastors here at Point Church in Fort Liberty. We seek to exalt Jesus and equip the saints through expositional preaching and teaching. I hope you're encouraged and uplifted from this week's teaching. Turn in your copy of the scriptures to John chapter 7. That's where we're going to be. But like Josh had said, uh, this morning, we're, uh, and really over the next two weeks, we're, we're doing a, uh, just a little touch of a vision series. Uh, he kind of quoted our, our mission statement, our vision mission statement, which is to be disciples uh, who make disciples, right? And, and there was kind of this, this grand uh, picture and, and idea that every, uh, every man, woman, and child in this area would receive the gospel uh, and would respond to the gospel being a disciple, right? Learning how to live and follow Jesus, abide in him, trust him, serve him, and then make other disciples, right? And this is, that's the Great Commission, right? And so because that's God's mission, therefore as God's people, it is our mission, right? And so uh, we're going to touch this morning on what it is to be a disciple, and really an aspect of what it is to be a disciple. But before we get there, I want to pray, and then I'm going to need you to, to kind of get a picture in your mind. So let us pray, and we'll jump in. Father, you are kind, and you're worthy of our praise. Lord, you're worthy of us completely halting our lives to yield to you. You are our Lord. You're our King. We surrender to your Lordship in our life. We as a corporate body of of people, we surrender. You are our King. And this is your word, and so as we open it, we want to take a moment and just bow ourselves before you, God, that we would allow the word of God to rule over us, that we would, we would submit to the things that you say, that we would repent, that we would believe, that we would walk in the truths and the promises that you have given us through Christ. Would you guide our time together. Open our eyes, open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so here is uh, the activity. This is the picture that I need. Hold on, I'm setting a timer if I can. I can't. It's okay. All right, go with me, whether you're in school or on your couch, but you're watching a National Geographic documentary. Any, any fans in the room? Big fan, okay, big fan, love it, every, like every, give me the, the cold stuff, the hot stuff, lions, tigers, I mean every, like uh, it's, it's what we do, we love it, but I need you to go with me wherever you are, school desk with the projector, if you're uh, of a certain age, you know, they like carted it in and they put it on the thing, all right, but this one in particular is a special on the savannah, right? And so uh, in this image and in this uh, part of the documentary, they're talking about the, the seasonal cycles of that savannah, right? You've got a dry season, you've got a wet season. And so uh, in, in kind, of dis, kind of helping them see the way that this, uh, this, this environment, the way it functions, and so you see it being lush, and, and I'm just, I, I think about like these helicopter shots of, of like these uh, plain valleys, these flood valleys that are full of water, and there's just every assortment of animal, 
right? I mean, you can envision. There's hippos, there's gazelles, there's, there's wildebeest, there's every type of animal, and they're all like centered around this floodplain, right? And then as the, the dry season begins to set in, right, you st- like there's these time, these uh, time lapses from a teeming floodplain to like a small river, from a small river to like a creek, and then you kind of got like a mud flat, and then it's just some puddles here and there, and then maybe just some like moist desert dirt. And there's always that one shot where it's, it's like a single gazelle just trying to live, and he's like lapping up moisture off of dry dirt. You know, in that next segment of the documentary, it's, it's really de- demonstrating the, the living, or the process of living in that dry season. You're tracking, you, you've seen this, right? And that, that dry season is rough, like felt by all, some don't make it. And, and in that, you get to see and praise God for the intricacies of his creation, that, that there are animals and insects and reptiles that are able to live in those types of conditions, and it's just what they do. It's just what they do. And then, this is kind of the money shot, right? Camera's kind of low to the ground. You see, the desert floor is, is so dry, it's so, it, it, it's so lacking moisture that it's begun to crack, it's begun to split. There's, uh, there's kind of dust rising up. You know, you, you can feel, like, just seeing it on the screen, you begin to, like, lose your breath because of the heat. Start to get a little thirsty. And this is the slow-mo, like the music begins to kind of, you know, rise. The narrator's British accent begins to kind of peak in hope that there is a cycle, right? That rain will come. And then here it comes, like the crescendo, the music comes and here the first raindrop. And I don't know how they get this raindrop. Like, I don't know if there's a schedule, but that first raindrop, you see it, like it just comes and in slow motion, it hits the desert floor. And those first raindrops, I watched a video this morning, so I'm, a, I'm an expert. Um, those first raindrops, they hit and they just kind of beat out and dissipate. And it's like the desert hasn't seen water. But eventually, those steady rains begin to take that dry, cracked, dusty, hot desert floor and turn it into moist sand, and then to some puddles, to a flat, to a creek, to a teeming river floodplain. And what happens? But all the creatures, and the life cycle begins, right? And, and it all centers around that. But when I watch that, the relief that comes at the rain, Right? Like, like you can almost, like it, there's, and part of that's just the good, like good videography and filming but the, and, and music and all the things that are playing with your senses, but you're watching that and you feel dry and parched as you watch it, and then those raindrops in slow-mo, bloop, bloop, 
And all of a sudden, it's like refreshment. I watched another video this morning of some, I don't know who this guy was, but he happened to live in some desert arid place. And it, the rain began, and it was like a seismic enough event that he pulled out his phone and began to film. He's like, do you see those dots on that shade, that shade tent? That's rain, like, like we had never seen it before. But when, you're, when you experience the parched earth, this, this desert land, and many of you in here have experienced that exact thing for months on end, there is a sense of needing refreshment, Right? All right, so that's kind of the picture that we're going to carry through today. But as we turn into 2024, this is kind of the thought. This is where the, the thought kind of connects to the new year. Uh, my social media was just flooded with resolutions, right? Influencers telling me what I should resolve to, what I shouldn't, that I shouldn't resolve at all, that I should really set goals. Or maybe that I shouldn't just do any of it because all of it's toxic. I mean, who, like you pick a side, I'm not knocking resolutions, goals, or the lack thereof. But one of the questions, just from a heart level, that I was thinking through is, as, and, and this is really at where we're all at at the beginning of the year, is like, what, will, what do I need this year? What did I not get or not achieve last year? What do I need? And maybe, maybe a better heart question is, uh, like, what is it that will satisfy me in 2024? Maybe a, maybe a more pressing question is what will satisfy my parched desert-like heart in 2024? See, because because of sin, because of the brokenness that, that sin has brought about, the, the reality is, is that we kind of live, like apart from Christ, our hearts are absolutely parched, zapped, zilch, hard to the things of God. But in Christ, even, though He has sealed us, and we're going to talk about the work of the Spirit and the life that we have in Christ, but even in Christ, you may be entering into the year feeling a bit parched. Like when you're watching that documentary and you feel like your throat's kind of closing up as that desert begins to just completely take over and there's no moisture, there's no water, and there's no relief in sight. And quite honestly, the resolutions of last year didn't carry into this year, and that in itself can, can just kind of weigh on you as like, man, what? Like, what am I going to accomplish? Just how am I going to redeem that? What will satisfy my parched heart this year? You see, we were created to be fully satisfied. We were created to not have, uh, to not have any... Uh, any sense of lack, but because of the downfall of mankind, right? We covered that in our last series. Because of that, what we have done is we have turned from the source of our satisfaction, and we have attempted, and we have striven, uh, striven we, we strive to find satisfaction apart from our Creator. So in 2024, this morning, it's important for us to understand that our greatest need is the salvation and satisfaction that only Christ and His Spirit can give. Let me say that again. Our greatest need, right? There's so many goals. I mean, listen, I had church members sending me pictures of them working out in the gym. 
yesterday, all right? Like, that was a goal, Betty and Josh. Like, it was a goal. Like, they're going to be in there. I mean, it was like, swope, they, they, like they, they were jacked up. Praise the Lord for that. And I'm not knocking goals. Set goals. Please do. But set them as you are fully grounded and satisfied in the salvation and provision of a spirit. Amen? So let's read the text together. John chapter 7, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39. Now that he said, now this he had said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And that's the word of God this morning. So, what will satisfy your parched heart? What will satisfy my parched heart? And we see this beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus. And we're kind of jumping into a scene that's already three quarters over in which Jesus cries out, all who are thirsty, come to me and drink. All of you parched in your uttermost, come to me and drink. But before we get to those specific words, we need to kind of set up and understand exactly what is going on in this thing. So the very first line there in verse 37 tells us that it was a great feast. So we can do a little context, right? When you're reading the scriptures, you can read ahead, you can read behind to kind of understand the whole picture of of the exact passage that we're reading. And we find out earlier at the beginning of chapter 7 that they are celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles or also called the Feast of Booths, all right? And this feast is a big deal. Remember, the Jewish people, they had lots and lots of feasts. They, and I, I, will, I won't pretend to be an expert on those or even this one, but I want to give you the context so that we can see exactly what Jesus is saying as he stands up. But this feast was seven days long. Some scholars believe that there was actually an eighth day added like every, like on a cycle, like every so many years there'd be an eighth day added kind of as, a, as like a, a Bible teaching or conference. But anyways, seven days, and this, this feast was established after the Exodus. So remember, the Exodus is when God took his people out of slavery in Egypt, right, brought them out, and was taking them to the promised land that he was going to give them. But, and the, the whole purpose of this feast was for them to remember the faithfulness of God. It was for them to recall how God had cared for them, how he was faithful to bring them out, and how he would provide for their, not only their physical needs, but their salvific needs in the future through the Messiah. So this feast was one of celebration, and it was, it, like I said, it was seven days, and here was the stipulation. They had to live in temporary housing in these seven days. Booths, okay? Because that was a part of God taking them out of Egypt. What did they live in? They lived in tents or booths for so many years throughout the desert. Catch that? The desert? You know that, that place? We see the desert represent trial. 
uh, uh, testing. And in the the Israelites' case, we see often that they prolong their time because of disobedience and unbelief. But he, he, he prescribed to them, for these seven days, you'll construct temporary booths out of big leaves or or whatever temporary things in order to recall when I brought you out of Egypt. Okay? And there was was all of these rites and rituals that were a part of this festival, and but one of them was a water ritual, and that was basically a this deal on the seventh day, the high priest, there was kind of this big processional, it was a joyful thing, but he would go to the pool of Siloam, and he would take in this gold thing, and he would get water, and he would kind of parade through, and they're, they're reading the Hallel Psalms, okay, so they're reading these, these, uh, these powerful Psalms, they're singing them, and he goes, and he goes to a certain gate, and he begins to pour this water out was a part of the morning sacrifice. But as he's pouring them out, the, the men and the women, they're, they're considered pilgrims, right? Because they were in the, in the desert, they were traveling as pilgrims, right? They were sojourners. They were exiles. And before he pours it, the crowd cries out three times, and this is what they say. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. And he pours out the water. Now, what's really neat, and this is, guys, this thing goes deep, and we're not going to be able to to mine all of its depths this morning, but I want to to hit the high points because it is so rich. But that, so on day seven, this water ceremony and this water is poured out, and it's it's a beautiful picture and symbolism that God would one day pour out his spirit in the days of the Messiah. And so in this feast, in, in these seven days, it's, it's, comp- it's comprised of them celebrating God's movement and, and provision in their life, it, freeing them from captivity, and with this expectation, this anticipation that one day God is going to pour out His Spirit in the day of the Messiah. Corey, how do we know this? Well, so Exodus 17 is, is a, a situation where they're in the desert, and this is really profound, and we're going to kind of touch on this in our application. It's a profound moment in which the people of Israel are in the desert, and they don't have any water. And they're really thirsty, and they're really grumbling, and they basically turn to Moses, and they go, hey, Moses, like, when we were in Egypt, we had food and water, Right? I mean, hear what they're saying in that moment. Like, hey, we have experienced God parting entire seas, dropping miraculous bread out of the sky, and in this moment of thirst, we're so parched bodily, but we also know we're so parched in our hearts. We're so parched that slavery seems to be a better option than being here. You see, our hearts are so prone to unbelief. And so what happens is the Lord instructs Moses, hey, I want you to strike this rock and water will flow. And what does he do? But he strikes the rock and water flows. Now there's strong correlation to Christ being the rock and water flowing out of Christ. There's some beautiful imagery, but we cannot miss the fact that the Lord has provided over and over 
So great symbolism. In in Ezekiel 36, uh, the prophet says that I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Isaiah 43 says, For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. Isaiah 12 says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord. And so we don't know exactly all that's read and all that's that's memorized during this feast, but we certainly know there is a great emphasis on water At this feast, and there's a great emphasis on water being not only God's miraculous provision and care for his people, but the future promise of his spirit coming to his people. Isaiah 55 says this, come everyone who thirsts, just like the Lord Jesus, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy it and eat, come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? See, there's this heart thing that Isaiah is getting at, in which it's the people that, that have seen God do great things, and yet still go, it's better for us to be in slavery, because at least there, we had water and food. See, Isaiah is getting at there is, there is something to be had. There is a thirst that will be quenched. There is goods that we can receive without money, but it comes from a particular source. And just to fill in the gaps, that source ain't us. It's not us. So there's this incredible picture. And guys, I'm, I'm telling you, like we're kind of skimming the top of all of the imagery from the Old Testament that can be brought out in, uh, in illustration to the water and what it represents. But let's get to our text in verse 37. On this, it says, on the last day, the great day, right? This is the end of the feast. And remember, they are, this is a celebratory thing. When that priest is marching through with that water to go give that sacrifice, there is chauffeur, like, like, the horns are being blown. Like, it is a joyous occasion. These Hallel Psalms are being sung at the top of the lungs of the people. And the Lord Jesus is present. He's present. He's, he's participating in this event, in this festival And the great scholar and theologian and pastor, uh, D.A. Carson, he says this. So imagine it. They've had all this feasting. The booths have been built. Now they're all coming down. It's the end of the festival. The people are still gathered. They, They remembered yesterday and the pouring of the water. But the feast is over. The word of God is being read and Jesus stands up and says, You've had the ceremony, you've seen the water, but the time of fulfillment is at hand. If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. You see, what's so incredible is that that feast, that seven-day feast, essentially preached the sermon. That the Lord in his kindness was faithful to his people in the wilderness and he would be faithful to provide salvation through a Messiah and the pouring out of his spirit. 
right? And so all of those ceremonies, they're rites and rituals, right? They're a little bit wooden, potentially, because that's just what you do as, a, as an Israelite. So you could essentially go through the motions, kind of like you can come in these doors and fill these seats and go through the motions. And the Lord Jesus is observing this, and, and they're literally preaching his sermon. They are testifying to his truth, just like we do as we sing songs about his goodness, about his promises, about his provision. And he's observing. And he's, as they ceremonially pour out water onto a sacrifice, he stands up and cries. Just like Isaiah spoke in Isaiah 55. All who are thirsty, come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. So essentially what Jesus does is he stands up and he has an altar call. He gives an invitation. This is the invitation. Come to me and drink. What is he saying in that? It's, 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 not, it's not hidden. This is not like this is not a mysterious thing. What the Lord Jesus is saying is three very clear things. Come to me and drink. First, I am the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures. Like, come to me and drink. And we, he quotes Isaiah 55, and, and Carson makes this little comment that basically, if Isaiah can say, hey, you guys should come and drink this water, then the Lord Jesus comes and says, I am the water. Come and drink of me. So he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. Secondly, he is the only one who can satisfy. John 4 tells us this when in the exchange with the Samaritan woman at the well in which he says, ma'am, like, will, will you draw me up some water? And she says, why in the world would a Jewish guy ask a Samaritan for water? And this is what he says. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, he basically, prior to this, he says, hey, if you knew who I was, you would be asking for the water that I can give. Amen? Come and drink from me. But he goes on and he says that this water, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, speaking of the water in the well, the physical water. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus tells us in verse 38, as he's crying out, whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, let me give you a little thing. So we've already established that the, the water symbolism throughout the Old Testament is often understood as the prophecy of God pouring out his spirit. And here we have the Lord Jesus just like completely blowing the top off of this thing, like with no more mystery, no more hiding. And he says, in, in, at the end there, he says in verse 39, now this he said about the Spirit. He said that about the Spirit. Come to me. And then he goes on and, and says, hey, but, but those who believe, they haven't received yet, but they will, right? Upon his glorification. So, he's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Come to me and drink. He is the only one who can satisfy. 
eternally. Like, like we chase things with our hearts and we, man, we want that thing or that amount of money or that feeling or that high or that relationship or whatever it is. And for a nanosecond, it's like, yeah, that was good. But what is the fallout? But man, we need more or we need something better or I need twice or, or maybe I need something different or we need a new resolution or a new goal or a new whatever it is in the new year. And we're saying like, it's Jesus who's the only one who can satisfy. Come to him and drink. Come to him. And thirdly, he says, I will pour out my spirit. He tells us very plainly. So I don't want to miss the fact that Isaiah, in Isaiah 55 says, hey, anybody who's thirsty, come and drink. And the Lord Jesus, just like he does later in John, actually in like the next couple of chapters, where he basically says, I am that I am. He is quoting Old Testament scripture, and he is not quoting it as in he's some kind of third-party observer, but he is quoting it in first-person language because he is the one true God. I am that I am. Anybody who's thirsty, Isaiah says, come and drink, and Jesus says, come to me and drink. Don't miss that Jesus, many, a lot of people are kind of good with Jesus being a teacher, a good guy, moral, whoever. But don't miss the fact that in this text, in much of John, Jesus, in his quotations, is emphatically communicating that he indeed is God. He's God. Come to me and drink. Come to me. He'll pour out his spirit upon his glorification. You remember how was Jesus glorified? He was glorified first through his death on a cross and his, and his burial and then his resurrection and then at his ascension, right? That is the glorification of Jesus. And he tells us, he tells us in John 16, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. Family, don't miss this. This is so good. The Lord Jesus' invitation is come to him and drink deeply of eternal life in these living waters. And, and the way that that happens is through his Holy Spirit. It's by his Holy Spirit. So what's this Spirit's role? Because quite honestly, we boy, it, the Holy Spirit can make you feel uncomfortable, Right? Some people might be a little too comfortable with the Holy Spirit. Others in the church might be a little too uncomfortable around the Holy Spirit. But the Bible speaks very plainly about his role. And I'm just going to cover a few. First, in Ephesians 1, it says that, in, that he is the seal of our salvation. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, right? Jesus says, when you believed in me, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. To the praise of his glory. So he's our seal. He, he literally is the thing that like the Lord, Father God looks down on his people. And where he sees his spirit, he sees his people. Do you hear me? Like, like your best day, you're sealed in Christ by his spirit. On your absolute worst day, he sees you. You're sealed by his spirit. That's good news. That's good news for a parched heart that's grasping at straws, looking for things to identify myself in, to satisfy myself in. But man, 
the best news is that he is our seal. He convicts us of our sin according to John or to Romans 8. He leads us towards holiness. He, his spirit intercedes that the Holy Spirit is indwelling in us and he is speaking in like deep moans and like even beyond words to the Father on your behalf and my behalf. Family, don't miss these eternal waters that we are drinking from in Christ. We experience through the abiding presence of his spirit. He is our spirit of adoption. We don't have this spirit of fear, but a spirit of adoption in which cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, remember me. Hear my prayers. And so the Psalms, like when you read the Psalms, and it's going, oh, Lord, like, would you hear me? We, we sang that song this morning, and it talks about he hears us. We cry out, and he hears us. Oh, come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. So, the question, based on Jesus' response, like at that day, seventh, eighth day of that festival where he stands up and he cries out and the invitation is, come to me and drink, all who are thirsty. His invitation today to you and me is, come, if you're thirsty, to me and drink. And, and the bearing on that is first, there, there are people in the room that may be familiar with Jesus, maybe you've tried to follow him in your own merits, but like there are people in the room most likely that have yet to follow Jesus, that you have actually come to him and drank of him. You have yet to taste of his salvation and that it's good. My friend, what I'm telling you today is that like the Samaritan lady at the well, who, who begged and pleaded the Lord Jesus. Lord, like with that parched heart of hers, she said, Lord, give me that water that I may drink and never thirst again. Friend in the room, apart from Jesus, your heart is parched and your hope is set on yourself or things or circumstances or maybe you've just kind of given up on hope altogether. The invitation to you is to come to Christ and drink. Come to Him. Come, all who are weary. Come. And what that coming means is that, that you're not standing going, all right, Lord, like, come, like, you know, you kind of meet me halfway. I'll kind of, you know, I'll do my part. You do your part. No, like, cast yourself on His feet. With your parched heart and drink deeply. And the, so the, the practical response if you've never, ever experienced the salvation of Jesus, the first thing that we do is we repent or we turn, we acknowledge that our, our efforts to please ourselves, to satisfy ourselves, to, to, to hope for ourselves has all been flawed and failed. And we need a Messiah. We need Jesus to actually save us. That's the first thing that we do. And then we cast ourselves and we put our entire hope and our whole trust and our whole belief that he is really who he says he is. And we have proof because he rose again from the grave, right? And so my, 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 the, the call is to come to Christ. Turn from your sin and believe. And then for the believer in the room, do, don't miss. Like this, this may sound like a, a sermon just for those who have yet to taste Jesus. 
But as Josh read that Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's the reality is that as believers, we can find ourselves in dry seasons. Everybody had a dry season? Yeah, I, yeah, 100%. And, and sometimes those dry seasons are, are, are formed through our own choices and disobedience, or our drifting from Christ. Other times, the dry season is a dry season. But hear me, hear me. The invitation today from Christ is come to me and drink again and again and again and again. If you have ever graduated from drinking the eternal waters of Christ, you have failed miserably. Because we need him. And so if there's ever a point, as a matter of fact, this, this became so pointed in the book of Revelation to the church of Laodicea in which Jesus, he's, he's reading to this church and he says that you're neither hot nor cold, you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out. And he goes on and he quotes Isaiah 55 about coming and buying without money and having this water that is satisfying. Because see, he basically said, you don't realize it, but in your pride and in your spirit that you think you're okay. Okay, you're actually blind, you're naked, and you're a poor beggar. And so the encouragement to the church in that, he says, if you are my beloved, if you are in Christ, repent and follow me. So there's a call to the church to come to Christ and follow him. Because he will pour out his spirit on you and you will be completely filled with the Holy Spirit and you will have all spiritual riches and goodness from God. We have everything we need by his spirit. Now, as we begin to close this thing down, I I want you to bow your head or close your eyes or just get to a place where you can begin to, to, to think and not be worried about people around you. I just said a statement. We have all we need in Christ's Holy Spirit. But I got to be honest. When I utter those words, it's hard to fully believe them. And that's not, that doesn't take issue with the words of Christ or his promises. But that takes issue with my parched heart. That takes issue with the fact that, that God has given us all his promises. And that they're all yes and amen in Jesus who has poured out his spirit on us. That we have all we need in Christ. But you know what? Every, in my day-to-day life, in your day-to-day life, do we actually live like we actually have all God's promises as yes and amen? Do you actually live as if you have all spiritual riches in the heavens in Christ through His Spirit? Or are we kind of just like living poor? We're just kind of banking on that little bit that we got, that little bit that we're aware of, that little bit that we're kind of familiar with. Maybe, maybe you're just like... I don't really know about this spirit and following Jesus is hard and takes a lot out of me. I, like you, Maybe you're just feeling kind of done in this moment. And what I'm saying is that's okay that you're there right this second. The good, good news of the gospel is that we can move from that place. Very simply, 
by repenting, turning from ourself, turning from whatever sins are drawing our attention from Christ, whatever that is, like really good things, like work, like maybe even, maybe even your family. There's like really good things that we can make idols that can take our attention from Christ. They can take our attention from actually, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, to walk in step with the Spirit. So you ask the Lord, whatever you're doing, we're, we're going into a time of communion, so it's a little bit of a, an opportunity for you to begin to ask the Lord, like, hey, am I missing something? Like, are there things that are keeping me from you? Am I, am I not coming to you over and over again to receive? Am I attempting to live on what I received yesterday or the day before or three years ago when things were really good. And then family, here's the, the great challenge. In 2024, this is the su- first Sunday of this year, let's be a people marked by deep satisfaction in Christ and complete control and being fully in step with His Spirit as we come to Him and drink. Father, search us, show us, lead us. God, move us. I pray if there's anybody in the room that doesn't know Christ, Lord, that today they would come. Like, friend, I'll be in the back after we do communion. I would love to speak to you. I'd love to pray with you. If you have questions, maybe you've done it and you just don't feel like it's worked, I'd be happy to talk. but we can bank on this. We can bank on the the sureness of the Messiah who stands up at the end of the feast and says, this is all fulfilled in me. Come and drink. He has, his supply is unlimited. He has given us his full spirit to keep us, to sustain us, to seal us, to convict us, to lead us, to guide us to fill us with love and joy and hope and peace, gentleness. He has given us so much. He's given us everything in His Spirit. Let's be people marked by it. And let's walk into the new year, not hoping for riches, but banking on the riches that we have in Christ by His Spirit. God, we bless Your name. We praise You. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of what God is doing here at Point, connect with us at www.pointchurch.live. Thank you.